Wow. All right. Please grab a seat. Pardon me? Absolutely. Um, you know, one thing I'm convinced of is that we just don't do that very often. Uh, you know, what's interesting is that this is the last Sunday of 2012. Uh, we all get that. We also get what we prototypically do at this time of the year is we put a bookend on a certain chapter or segment of our life and we begin to open a new one, but we generally open it up with a lie. And we call those lies New Year's resolutions. And interesting enough, uh, we've all done it before. And sometimes we don't want to be guilty for saying the word New Year's resolution because somehow we know we're going to let ourselves down. And what ends up happening with that, whether it's weight loss or eating better or being nicer to everyone, uh, we end up failing. And the reality is, is that we haven't come to a place where we can actually engage with one another in a Christ-like manner. Because when we start to talk about the things of God and how we should interact with one another, we lose the concept. And I and hear me very clearly on this. We lose the concept of what it really means to love one another. I mean, this whole idea of love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, sounds almost like it could be a you know, Michael Buble recording that'll just lullaby you to sleep, right? But the second is like it. You should love your neighbors as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what is the right question to ask in response to that? What is the right question? What comes to your mind when you hear that? And this in and of itself is one of the problems. We have stopped asking the right questions. We've even stopped asking questions. We take what the preacher says. We take what a politician says. We take what others' ideas say. We take what mom and dad says. We take what we think works and sounds best and we never really ultimately challenge it and stir it up in the, the bowl of righteousness to see what God says. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe that the word of God is true? Yes. Be careful in your response there. I'll say it one more time. Do you believe that the word of God is true? Yes. And this in itself is a dangerous thing. The right question might be in relation to love my neighbor as myself. Do I love myself? Do I really love myself? Because it's kind of hard to separate that when we have so many young girls growing up without a daddy. I'm not talking about a father, I'm talking about a daddy. And, and even in that daddy model, I'm talking about a dad who is both present and engaged. Completely different. To be present, oh, that's my dad, I see him, he's running here and there. But to be engaged is something different. I know what makes you feel sad, I know what upsets you, I know what your victories are, I know what your dreams are, I know what your favorite color is. I know what makes you laugh. I, you know, to be engaged is a completely different thing. <laughs> So do I love myself? And if I really don't, then I'm going to treat everyone else based on this model of my love for myself or lack thereof. Does that make sense to you? So interesting enough, show of hands, how many of you have children? Wow. Did you guys read that one manual? You know, the one that was written, it said, uh, you know, when you're having children, here's the cool, simple, you know, raising children for dummies. Now, did you ever read that? That cool manual and then every, every step of the way it worked out? Well, no, I always say raising kids is great until they form an opinion. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I mean, everything's cool when a dad has that influence and his little bitty girl runs in there, daddy, daddy, gives that bit cool because that's that proud, her, 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 daddy, I'm your protector kind of thing. And then she grows up and daddy, daddy, I don't need you. I, need, I got this other guy. <laughs> So that's when I get out all the power tools and, you know, we start working things out. 
I want to talk to you guys about a, a section of scripture as we end this year. Uh, it is probably one of the most, maybe I'll use the word disturbing to me. It's disturbing in its simplicity. It's disturbing in its recommendation. It's disturbing in its design by God. And I always say that people act differently under stress. You want to really find out what a person's really like? You really want to know what a husband is like? Don't ask him. Ask his children. Ask his wife. Hey, ask his boss. If you really want to know what a what a woman is like, don't ask her closest friends. Ask those catty women who can't stand her. Yeah. You know why? Because their perception of you is radically different than that of everyone else. And they are not likely to be a yes man or yes woman. They are likely to give you some brutal, honest, ugly truth. Now, as much as I love the holiday season, uh, can't even say the word Christmas anymore. I'm not sure where that started to change, but I, people love to give me the holiday vibe. And, well, Merry Christmas. I love it. Merry Jesus on you, you know? I start to think about the dynamics that start to work around this time. Some are motivated by the sense of pain, the sense of brokenness. Maybe you lost a loved one near this time. We certainly know that there will be 26, 30 or more families in the Newtown, Connecticut area that will never be the same again. And yet, they're not the only ones. They're not the only ones. Two days after the Newtown, Connecticut tragedy happened, I received a phone call from a young man that I've been mentoring for about 15 years. And this is mind-boggling because I remember when he was in high school, he was one of these real geeky, nerdy, cannot, no one recognizes this kind of guy, very difficult relationship skills. So he just kind of retracted and retreated and just did his thing, which was basically nothing. And then I took him on an event similar to Skid Row. It didn't have that name at that time, but I took him on an event like that. And whatever happened to him, it was like he just came out of a different galaxy. His life radically changed. He later went into the U.S. Navy and served four years and got out and met his wife. And he calls me and I get this phone call late at night, and just so some of you do know, if I don't recognize a number, it's rolling to voicemail. And that's for real. All these unknown blocks, I'm like, well, gosh, if you're going to block yourself, I need to know who you are. Don't block yourself from me. So this was a really bizarre, like, wacky area code I'd never even seen before. So I decided, all right, Lord, I'm going to pick this thing up. It's late at night, and I said, hello? And... Uh, he said, Egypt. I said, Robert? How you doing? And he just blew up crying. His wife is 33 years old, and they just had, uh, they just have two children, an 18-month-old and a three-year-old. Three-year-old Michaela and 18-month-old Malachi. Such cool biblical names. And his wife is in the hospital. She's in the hospital at the time he's calling me. And he takes a break to call me because she's having open heart surgery at 33 years old. And he is melting down because he has no one to turn to, no one to give him answers, no one to give him any kind of encouragement. They had recently left Phoenix a year prior and relocated to Florida. So no home church, no family connections, no network of anything, just a support. And what ended up happening is he was telling me that she's having this open heart surgery and it doesn't look good. Really doesn't look good for her. And he can't imagine being this young father uh, that's a widower of these two children he's got to raise on his own. Then he goes on to share with me this incredible guilt because he says, Egypt, you know, really, I, I don't think I love her. Certainly not like she loves me. So I'm processing all this. And two and a half hours later, phone's about to die. 
He says, we'll talk tomorrow and I'll let you know how the prognosis is going. So I ultimately get tomorrow. Her vitals are looking good. She's in ICU. And then she spiked and she died. So we talk again. And the conversation changes from I'm stressed and distraught to my wife is dead. So I said, well, tell me what was going on. A big part of his guilt he starts to share with me is that the thing that breaks his heart more than anything is the fact that the very last discussion that he had with his wife was an argument. And she had chest pains in the middle of that argument, and that's why he took her to the hospital. There was no, I'm sorry, Those were the last words he had with his wife. It was an argument, a full-blown, disrespectful argument. And he says, I don't even remember what it was about. So it couldn't have been all that important. Maybe some of you are here like that, and you've had those kinds of arguments, and maybe that kind of thought hit you before. Sometimes I think we're negatively motivated. We always hear, you know, eat your broccoli because there could be starving children in the world. No, just eat your broccoli because it's a good thing to do. Or just eat your broccoli because I said so. Or just do it because you should be practicing the right things to do, rather than always making everything seem like there's someone worse off than you, so that should be your motivation to do that. Because it brings us into this place of false communication with one another, and we don't really know how to communicate with each other anymore. And I love what Paul starts out here. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 4. It's really just four verses I really want to, to focus on, but I want to talk to you about the first half of the chapter of Ephesians chapter 4 and just kind of give you this backdrop here. First of all, Paul's in prison here. So, you know, I, I've had the opportunity on many occasions to, to go to jail <laughs> as a visitor, um, not as a participant, certainly not moving in, um, but to be in jail and talk to inmates of all kinds. And interesting enough, I, I find the dynamics of what happens in prison life is very different than what happens uh, outside of prison. Well, Theo Lacey up in Orange is interesting location. Been there on many occasions and had an opportunity to meet with uh, inmates and talk to them about their offenses and describe, have them describe to me why they're there and what got them there, what kind of choices they made, what their home life was like, what's good, what's bad, and then share with them the hope that is in Christ. So you think you have a captive audience. But interesting enough, Paul's in prison, and he's saying, listen, these are, this is a tough place to be, but his preaching was even more rooted and focused at that time because he didn't have the freedom to interact and connect. I don't know about you, but there are just those times when a remote control or a smartphone or a computer or a laptop or the internet or some movie or something just won't do it. Let's spend time together. So we go to a movie. <laughs> and we both stare at a film, at a screen, and we're not talking to each other. We have no clue what each other likes, dislikes, dreams are. And you know, over the course of time... You do change. You change in your physical abilities, your metabolism changes, your age obviously changes, but so do your expectations and your perspectives on life. It changes. But the thing that never changes is the Word of God. The, the issue is, is where you are in your race, how do you take the Word of God and apply it at that point in your life? I used to think to myself, why are old people so grumpy all the time? I'm not kidding you. I never could understand my grandfather. He was always this, this, but he struggled with severe arthritis. He was in pain, and he, he would always talk to me about the old days when he could run and just be wild and have a good time. And, and you remember those moments, but the body won't respond like it used to. Hey, I've got a surgically repaired Achilles tendon, and I got to tell you, I will likely never do the things I used to be able to do like I'd like to do it. I'd like to push off with this foot like you normally get out of your seat. I, I can't do that physically right now. It's frustrating to me. But Paul took this time and he just honed in on this preaching that was so powerful. And what's amazing about that is that the preaching was so powerful at this time that 
even those who sold these, these little idols and gods, they, there was an uproar in this province because of the fact that all Paul's uh, preaching was converting those who were lost to come to Christ, and they were losing business. It's kind of like a stock market crash. Could you imagine that? Trading stocks with, well, fear is up 32%, and we're trading, uh, you, know, uh, you know, corrupt behavior is, you know, on the rise, and if you'll just invest in that, things will work out for you. But the truth of the matter is, as Paul says, listen, there's something that I don't want you to forget. So the first half of Ephesians, he talks about the unity in the body. And I love within the unity of the body, he starts to even outline particular roles. Some were called as pastors, some as evangelists. You, you know which one I'm talking about. And, and as you look at that, you like to say, well, which one am I? Because I want to sign up. Pick me, Jesus. Pick me. Am I a pastor? Am I an evangelist? Am I, you know, do I have the gift of hospitality? Do I, am I a prayer warrior? What am I? So that we can feel like we have a place to put a name tag on, and this is what God made me. But it's one thing to be called in unity. It's something completely different to go from unity and say, we are on the same team. Because I don't even believe that we actually believe that. We really don't. That's why you have so many church names. Grandma's Backyard, Baptist, Missionary, Evangelistico, on the seventh corner of Avenue, you know, Avenida Presidio, church. You know, and you're like, what's with all these crazy names? You know, how do I write out my check? You know, it's like I'm running out of space. But the reality is, is we think that the way other people worship or the way other people do church is different from the way we do church. But we have to be the ones that are right. Maybe some of you have gotten into an argument before and you have experienced this interesting phenomena that he who yells the loudest must be the rightest. And there's something to be said about Paul taking a step back and just giving clear instruction about the things that matter. So coming together as children of light, now he goes from this idea of the unity in the body of now coming to a place where we're to act and behave with these certain rules of engagement. Now, I love that military term, that ROE. You know, I served four years in the U.S. Air Force, and there are so many things that shaped my life, even long before ever going into the military. But there are certain elements of the military life that is very different from civilian life. You have the UCMJ, the Universal, the Universal Code of Military Justice. It's a different law. Everything that you have in the civilian life that is as a punishment for speeding is so much more harsh in, military in the military law. It just is what it is. And there is, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, sir, yes, sir. You're like, well, why do you start with sir and end with sir? Because that's what they told us. That's how they trained us. In boot camp, I ironed my underwear because I was trained to iron my underwear in specific dimensions in my socks, and there couldn't be a speck of dust hanging off one of those cliffs one way or the other. And you say, who does that? The military. And the reason is because there's a level of discipline and attention to detail that the military wanted me to take, just like Paul wants us to take a, an attention to detail and speaking truth with one another. Now, I'm going to ask you this, and this is really important because the remainder of my time with you this morning, I want you to come to a place where you actually make some commitments, not resolutions, but make some commitments to identify some threats in your own life. Now, I know your outline was specifically designed for a completely different topic today. But today is completely different. It's about you. This is a bookend. It's the last Sunday of 2012. We go into 2013, and somehow we have this proverbial spiritual lottery. 2013 is going to be great, I hope. And we don't really know whatever the definition of great is. But listen here, I'm going to read this precursor before I actually focus on verse 25 through 29. It says, verse 17, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Some of your versions say the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more. Now, let me just stop there real quick. Um, I saw this a lot in African culture. I see it here in America. It's prevalent everywhere. And that is this idea that to come to Christ, I can still do what I want to do as long as I'm wearing his jersey. 
And you go to a football game, right, or a basketball game, and you see some really wacko people. I mean, it's Green Bay, it's winter, and people are out there with no shirt on. I'm like, these people are out of their minds. And some have jerseys on, and you know the ones who you have a Bear jersey at a Packer game or a Packer jersey at a Bear game, or you go to a Laker game, and you've got, like, Lakers from that don't even play anymore. Like, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, man, when did he retire? Like, is, is he playing now? Like, it's not relevant. But the reality is, is that the Gentiles saw coming to Christ as, I can still be me, I can do me, but I can do Jesus on my terms. So verse 20 says, You, however, did not come to Christ that way. Surely you've heard of him. And were taught in him according to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. And this is the really important part, your former way of life. To put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to to be made new in the attitude, and to put in the new self created to be like God in the righteousness and holiness. Now, this is the key because this is what today is all about. Verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of of the one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be beneficial for those who listen. You know, it's kind of hard to read that and not see where I fail on every account guilty 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 if this were a major court of law and god were sitting here with that big giant gavel i would just be indicted on every single one of these charges and it's a it's a it's a humiliating thing to know that you're guilty it's even worse when someone else says that you're guilty see i'm my own worst critic you can tell me, oh, Egypt, you don't do this right, or you, you failed here, or you did this, or you didn't drop. I know that. But when someone else says it on top of that, now, uh, now you've raised to light this imperfection, this thing that, quite frankly, I'm trying to deal with, but the reality is, is I'm really not dealing with it. Just acknowledging something is an error isn't correct, correcting the error in any way, shape, or form. Listen here, I love this. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, I love this reference here to Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. says, these things, these are the things that you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your hearts for the truth, justice, and peace. Why is that so important? Because we've built a life and a society on not talking to one another. Some of us have relationships and we have silent wars. We just get mad and we just don't say anything. And then you hold on to that grudge and it stews overnight and moves into the next day and then overnight and then the next day and it affects your behavior. Let me ask you this question. How much do you think your personal life's experience has to do with your worldview? Is it little? Is it kind of moderate? Or is it... Great. Do you think your personal life's experience has anything to do with your worldview? It has a lot to do with your worldview. Because if you grew up in an abusive home and the I love you was always followed with a backhand, well, then you think that that is love. So it's hard to hear someone say, I love you. And isn't it weird when you're not in a huggy kind of family or appropriate touch family? And someone wants to give you a hug, I always know exactly who those people are. First, there's that five-foot gap. You know, you have to have one of those extender arms, you know, to shake their hand. And it's not to point fun or make fun of you because I understand. And I'm sorry that you were hurt in some way, but our idea of appropriate contact and connection isn't about the distance. The distance is what the devil comes to do to to divide and conquer, if I can just get them focusing on themselves. You know, interesting enough, I was just sharing this with Sherry earlier, that the other day I was walking down the street, and it was really kind of an interesting situation, but there was a woman 
that was coming toward me. And I said, you know what? I'm not moving. I'm not moving. But she's walking and her head is down. You know what she was doing? She was texting. She was just texting. Texting her life out. Texting her life out. And I just stood there and I actually came to a point where I stopped. And I stopped and boom, right her head, right into my chest. And it was kind of like, oh, hello. And, you know, it wasn't, oh, I'm sorry. I, I feel bad. Now, interesting enough, if you run into someone, it's probably not a good thing. But she plows right into me and never once lifted her head. And that's the state of the union. That's exactly how we are. I got to tell you, and, and if there is a resolution to be made, and I told you I wasn't going to use that word, but I'm, I, I lied. Um, <laughs> and my wife will hold me to this, but... I'm going to make a focused effort to put the phone down at all meals. And and they're over here laughing right now. But she's like, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm. And that usually means, you you know, I'm going to have fun beating up on you all year on that one. But something has happened when we fail to speak truth in a way that is respectful. Respect is not the absence of discretion. What ends up happening when we think that someone needs to hear the truth and we have people who say, I speak my mind. I tell it like it is. No, you're just mean. You you don't tell anything like it is. You're just mean. You actually enjoy being mean. You like getting a rise out of people. You know, it's okay if you disagree with one another. That's different. But to love someone is to respect and to honor them. Hey, you know what? I really don't see eye to eye with you on that point, and let me tell you why. So let's talk about that. Amazing how we can defuse the ridiculousness of life with a gentle tongue. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, These things, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness in he who speaks lies, and one who, is, uh, who sows discord among the brethren. Twice you heard about a lying tongue. This goes far beyond the, honey, how do I look in this dress? It's so far beyond that. This is like the ethics of, you know, in the business world, interesting enough, and particularly in the sales field, this term, cash is king, is a commonly known phrase. Sell it. And when they ask you how we're going to get it in, don't worry about that. Just sell it. And we'll figure that out on the fly. Those of you in in sales, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You figure out how you're going to do it after it's sold. Cash is king, motivated by this specific goal. And what ends up happening is we start presenting ourselves and sharing things that, quite frankly, they're they're not a a little distortion. It's a flat-out lie. I did X. I know why. Oh, yeah, I I know Michael Jordan because you have like a poster of him in your office. Or I know a certain person, but you don't know them. You happen to be on the same golf course when you were leaving the parking lot. They were, you know, on the ninth green or something. And the truth of the matter is, is that we don't know how to speak truth to one another because we only do so when we perceive that the outcome will be a positive one. True? Okay, so I'm not really going to, you know, tell you you have a booger in your nose because I think you're going to hit me. You know, well, I'm sorry. I always say friends tell friends when they have a booger hanging out of their nose. You know, it's kind of like friendship 101. You know how it's rolling. Let me ask you guys this. Uh, I love, I love young adults. I love particularly high school, college-age young adults because they're, they're trying to find their fit in life. And in a lot of ways, they don't know how to articulate that. They just know they want to be heard. They want to be valued. They, want, they have certain goals, and they don't really have a plan to get there. Just the desire to want that is the plan. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is the plan. It's kind of like I saw a be-all-you-can-be commercial, so in my mind, I've already served 20 years in the military, you know, just because I said that. But the truth of the matter is, is, I get this question and I ask and I say, so I'll ask you, are there geographic locations, you understand that, are there geographic locations on your body 
that are off limits for other people to touch. Okay, you know, when I ask that question to an auditorium of college students or high school students, do you know it takes them a long time to really respond to that question? They, they act like they don't understand the question, so I say it again. Are there geographic locations on your body that are off limits to touch? And that's when they say, yeah, I, I, I guess. And I think to myself, this is a reflection of the lack of teaching, the ref- a reflection of the lack of something is missing when we can't even look at our own selves and we have this command that says to love my neighbor as myself, but yet I don't really even respect my own body because I don't really see that there are places that are off limits. You see how I, you just reverse the order in how you teach and people start to get it because based on their own worldview, if they see that it crumbles, then they have to be open to a different solution. So why speak the truth? Why? Because we're members of the same body. I mean, John 15, I love this. I am the true vine. I love the way Jesus speaks. I don't know if he speaks in that, that deep voice like that James Earl Jones kind of like, you know, Darth Vader, Mufasa kind of voice. But I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. He who bears much fruit in me. Did you get this? He who bears much fruit in me. Wow. This is a cool thing. I'm going to prune him back. I'm going to cut him. But he who does not bear fruit, I throw him away and throw him in the fire. So wait a second. If I do good, God cuts me back. And if I don't do good, God cuts me and throws me away. So no matter what, I'm getting cut. (laughs) Did you come over? Did you hear that? And that's like a raw deal. Like, God, I was supposed to be like signing up on your team. Do you know who I am? I came to church on time today to hear your voice. And you, what? God says, do good and I'm going to cut you. Don't do good. I'm going to cut you and throw you away. So no matter what, you're getting cut. Sign up in the back, you know, kind of thing. And I think to myself, wow, that's just, that's horrible. You know, in 1994, um, my family and I were in Chicago. I, we lived in a suburb. I used to take the train in to work. It's a one-hour train ride into downtown National Station in Chicago. And uh, I was with a client, and I get this phone call. And uh, my wife is calling me on my, my oldest daughter's ninth birthday. And she says, you need, to, you need to call. You need to call home. This was a day during pagers. <laughs> Probably forgot about what a pager is, you know. I thought I was all cool. This is my pager. Let me get to a phone, you know, kind of thing. You know, no such thing anymore. Well, nevertheless, my grandfather, who was really my dad, I didn't grow up with my dad. My grandfather was my dad. He was my father figure. He was my mentor, my champion in life. Brought me to Christ. He had passed that night. Now, as I did the rewind, it wasn't even a full eight hours. That night was a Wednesday night, and I don't know why. I know why now, because the Holy Spirit told me to, but I would never call my grandparents in the middle of the week. Got family, got the kids, and all stuff's going on. Call my grandparents in the middle of the week? Are you kidding? Don't do that. I've never done that. But I had a strong sense. I need to call my grandfather. So I call him. I'm in Chicago. He's in Cleveland. Hey, Grandpa, how you doing? I'm not feeling too good. Ooh, I'm sorry. Well, what's going on? He goes, I just, I don't really feel too well. I said, well, can I pray for you? He said, would you please? So I prayed with him. We talked, asked about my grandmother, asked about how other things are going on. We talked for a little short while. Didn't have much endurance. The last three words I said to him when I hung up was, I love you. This was about 10 p.m. at night. The testimony later would backtrack. It was only a few hours later, two to three hours later, that he passed and went on to be with the Lord. The last three words I said to him was, I love you. I just opened up with a mentee of mine who did not say, I love you. His last words were hateful words. I wonder at the end of the year where you stand as you book in 2012 and others ask you, well, what did you experience in 2012? Did you grow at all? 
Are you the same person that you were? I mean, the exact same person, maturity, emotionally, mentally. Are you the exact same person? Have there been any relevant change in your life to touch another life worth changing? Can anyone say, man, I could just something about you. I want to be around you. And I confess to you, I'll speak some truth. I'm not the superhero many of you think I am. I'm just one man making a difference where I can. I'll tell you what, I don't really care what you think. It has to start in the place of not disrespecting you, and that's not a disrespectful statement. I'm not going to modify God's calling on my life based on your opinion. Because there's always going to be someone who loves you but doesn't like you. There's probably people in your life that you love but you don't like. They're just not nice people. You know, I'm talking about Uncle Buck, the one that comes over at Thanksgiving, always wreaking havoc, cussing and swearing, getting everybody in an uproar. Is there an Uncle Buck in anybody's life? Am I the only one with an Uncle Buck? I mean, what's wrong with you people? Man, i got to come spend Thanksgiving with you guys then. Verse 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. What's amazing about this instruction that Paul gives is that be, you know, be angry and do not sin. Well, wait a second. Every time I'm angry, I end up saying things I don't really mean saying. I say regretful things. Well, that's what anger will do. The anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. You've heard that said before. I think we all even get that intellectually. When I'm angry, there's nothing good that can possibly come out of that. But let me ask you this. Has there ever been a time in your life that you've actually been angry? And if you're being totally honest, even for a little bit, you want it to be bad. You like right now, I don't want to tell anybody, but I'm loving this anger thing. I just want to rip somebody's head off. And that person did me wrong, and I'm going to live it up, and then I'm going to pray and ask for forgiveness. Is that am I the only one who's ever you've had those little flashes of I'm so mad right now, you better get ready because it's getting crazy. And then Jesus, you can have me in. Give me two hours. I just Two hours. That's all I need. So we have these proverbial discussions that go on, and the instruction is very clear. Be angry. Why? Because there are anger. There is a holy anger and a righteous anger towards things that are unrighteous. Have you not been following the little things in culture? You know, I always say when I grew up, but I only go back a certain distance in history, and your, your history goes to a certain segment, but... My segment of life, you know, we did play outside. There was no Internet. Um, matter of fact, you were cool if you had a remote control to your TV. Not going to lie. We had to, like, get up, go across the room, and actually physically change the channel, and then come back and sit back down. No, no, that's not the one. You have to get right back up and go back and change it again. Uh, you know, you had those rabbit ears. Anybody? Okay. Maybe I'm speaking in code right now. You, okay. Don't mean to disrespect and disrupt your life. But uh, interesting enough, this was, this was a time when, yeah, this is bizarre. At least people think it is today, but school teachers could spank you. There was a paddle hanging on the wall to Mr. Brown's classroom. Mr. Brown was a sixth grade science teacher, and you do not mess with Mr. Brown because he created this wooden paddle, and it had holes drilled in it. And I swear, that was, I never knew what the word aerodynamic meant. Until you, it's like a whistling sound when that paddle, I am telling you, if you reinstated paddling and physical corporal punishment in schools today, I, I want to tell you, things will be a lot different. I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. There was something to be said about pants that don't hang down to my knees where you can see my fruit of the loom or... Whatever your badge is and, you know, you, what is that? And I'm thinking, what girl is actually attracted to that? Oh, my gosh, he's wearing for the looms. You know, come on. Psalm 4.4 says, be angry, do not sin. Meditate in your heart on, on your bed and be still. I love this reference because it even goes back to Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Selah. Stop. Think. Ponder. Meditate. Regurgitate. Meditate. Regurgitate. Pray. 
meditate, regurgitate, pray. As I was driving here to church this morning, this is one of those times where I automatically push on my CD. I don't even know the last... I mean, I listen to radio usually in the afternoon, but popping my CD, I'm like, ah, it's kind of annoying. Turn on the radio, ah, it's kind of annoying. I'm like, you know what? Power off. I didn't listen to anything coming into church this morning. I know many of you live a lot closer than we do, but we're 17 miles. We're down in Lake Forest, and I got to tell you, it was quiet in my car. And the reason why we can't think sometimes is because we always got stuff going on. Got the TV on in one room, no one's watching it. Lights on out in the garage, and nobody's out there. I'm waiting for that hand to go. <laughs> Laptops going. Stuff's going on, just noise to kind of balance because we feel like stuff's got to be happening. And I'm guilty of this. But the reality is, is until we come to a place of being still, meditating on God's word, it's very difficult to understand what it means to take our anger and process it appropriately. You know, it's kind of hard to stay angry when you get defused. You've heard the expression, cooler, cooler heads will prevail. Give time. This is kind of why you, you know, what happens in Vegas it's posted on YouTube. You know, it's just, you know, everyone needs to know about it. But the reality is, is when you're in a, in a traumatic life experience, they always say, hey, don't get married. Don't go purchase a house. Don't go giving away a lot of money because you're under a potential duress and you're likely to do things that you're going to regret. What our response should be is that our response should be a control. You should never be consumed with any anger that is prolonged. There are certain angers. We start out with a good thing, but we end up with a bad thing. You know, isn't it kind of interesting? You have these people in these, uh, you know, fighting for sex trafficking, you know, victims or, you know, anti-abortion. And next thing you know, we're blown away people. How'd that happen? And you say, how'd that happen? And you don't know? Well, yeah, you do. You just don't want to recognize it because we were mad. That's what happens when you get mad. That's what happens when anger is allowed to fester and to kind of take on a different shape because it is the master of masquerading God's purposes. Because in that, our pride steps in as a kissing cousin and says, I'm going to justify you. Kind of like the priest, the, the, the pride just blesses that anger. Next thing you know, you think you are justified. I'm amazed, and I'm going to say a few things here that just may ruffle your feathers a little bit, but I am amazed that we have so much pride, even borderline arrogance in race, culture, ethnicity. Do you think for one second that I actually created myself to be this skin color? I mean, seriously, are you out of your mind? Do you think I created myself this way? I was in the womb. I think I'll be dark chocolate when I come out. (laughs) Yeah, I think that'll work for me. God created me, but we put so much energy in in identifying what we think we are so that we can be an exclusive group. And everyone does it. Everyone does it. And yet we never see the real panoramic, the real tapestry of the face of God in his creation. And we say, you know what? You are better than that. Because of the one that created you. You didn't choose your birth, you didn't even choose who you would be. So I love what First Peter 5.8 says, uh, be sober, be vigilant, be aware, some of your versions may say, because the adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And all of us have seen the Discovery Channel where the, you know, the cheetah or the, the lioness. I used to think the lion was the tough dude. And he is, but, man, those women... Those lionesses, I'm serious, they have some serious biceps. I don't know if you've ever seen those big cats, the way they move. They're just, they're awesome, man. (laughs) They're powerful. And these women get together, and they are just like, tactically, they don't have headsets on. They don't have walkie-talkies or comm units. They are out there working it. And which animal do they focus on? The weak little bitty baby, the one where your little kid says, Oh, mommy, look at the little bitty buffalo. Look at the little wildebeest. He's just prancing along with his little teeny legs, and then you see out of nowhere, just. 
That kid is traumatized for life. You're on the phone, 1-800-COUNSELING, you know. Yeah, my kid's traumatized watching Discovery Channel, it's over. You know, kind of thing. And the reality is that's exactly what the enemy is doing, seeking whom he may devour. You're not a victim, you're a victor. Your perspective is not wrapped up in what you think you have to have. It's what you already have. We don't solve problems with money. If I just throw money at it, then it keeps me out of having to get my arms dirty. Every one of you has gotten a cell phone call, and that caller ID has come through, and you've already said in your mind, this is a one-hour phone call. Am I lying? I mean, come on now. Let's just stop it for a second. You said, if I pick it up, it's at least an hour. And you know the first 40 minutes of that isn't even about asking a question. It is just ranting. And you're like, and you're like, oh, oh wow, went to voicemail. All right, so you just get on about your business. And in a lot of ways, that's how God is. He calls us up and we just articulate him as God's going to want all my time. I want to see the game, man. Who's winning the game? Oh, he went to voicemail. All right, he'll get back with me later. So verse 28, Paul continues on and he says, Listen, let him who, st- who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have him who is in need. Today is really a, an issue of forgiveness. I'll be honest with you guys, as, as I start to wrap up here, this is probably one of the toughest things for any of us to grasp. I'll be honest, I still don't get it. I, I don't get it. I do, but I really don't. I forgive you. That's not approving of someone's behavior or their, their hurt toward you. You know, the truth is, is if you took a list and you drew a line right down the middle of the paper and you separated on two sides and you said, these are my hurts. These are things that others have said about me or done to me that I perceived as dangers to my life. And then on the other side, you would have this other column represents the things that God has said that has hurt me. And then you have to really think hard about what has God ever said that has ever hurt you? Because you do understand that we have actually already come to the conclusion that God has hurt us or he is about to hurt us. That's why we don't step out in faith. That's why we trust ourselves. We don't trust God. And you'll find that to be a really empty column. Now, there is something that I did notice that God will say to those who don't believe him and don't follow him that will hurt and it will hurt in an eternal manner. And he says, then I will declare to them, depart from me. You who practice iniquity, cast are you into the lake of fire, which was prepared, not for you, but for the devil and his angels. I got to tell you, there is no party going on in hell. There's no party like it's 1999. There's no invitation that you want to receive and actually take and go there. We have been ripping off each other from encouragement. We say things like, how you doing? Good. Those of you who know me know I will call you to task on that good. With one word. Really? And I'll take time. Even when it's not convenient for me. And when I say not convenient for me is because we all have times that are not convenient for us. But are you really doing good? Or have you just built up so many layers of walls that you have failed to realize that God has said, remove every one of the walls. Now go go connect, go touch, go bless, go be a part of someone else's life. And it's not always about money, but maybe it's your time. Maybe that's more valuable than anything you could ever possibly give someone. And some of us, you know, we are really encouragers to do that. But I wonder, do we all really do that because we have to or do we do it because we want to? It's a big question to ask. It's not one that I can answer for everyone. You've all heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Uh, Who is that idiot? (laughs) I mean, come on. Names do hurt. You moron. You're nothing like your sister. You failed again? Idiot. 
so sick of you. You've heard these words before. Maybe they come out of your mouth. Maybe you've heard someone else say them to you, but you relive it like a broken record over and over and over again, and you don't want to let it go. You can't say, I can't let it go. You can let it go. It's not a matter of knowing what is the right thing to do, because everyone knows what the right thing to do. It's carrying it out. That's the real issue. Say what you mean. I don't want to let it go. If you don't want to let it go, that's something completely different because then you don't believe that God is sovereign and holy and just to change you forever, to transform you. Because in his transformation of you, he designed you to touch someone else's life. You weren't even built for your own life. You weren't built for yourself. If you walk out of here today somehow that I have an even greater reason to be angry, a greater reason to stay the same, then you have missed the mark. Speaking truth with one another is a first recognition that there is an author of truth. And there's a reason to speak truth. And if I do speak truth, then it's going to cause me to think about things different. But speaking truth can come in deceptive packages. You know those small group prayers? Oh, you know, I just want to pray for, for Bob because, you know, you know, Bob's, you know, doing, you know, these specific acts, you know, like you're praying for him. But you're really ratting them out in a, in a way that is inappropriate. Truth always comes with discretion. It's kind of like the guilt feeling. Well, uh, someone invites you. Hey, you want to go out with us? And you're like, uh, I'm busy. We, we got some things already planned. Come on, honey. Don't we have some things planned? You know, all you have to do is say, no, I appreciate it. But today I'm going to get some rest. What was so hard about that? We've been lying so long. We don't even know how to recognize truth when we hear it. We act like it's a big deal. It's okay. That's all right, man. We'll catch you next time. We always tell young people, well, go out and share your faith. Well, what does that mean? Come to my church? That's not sharing your faith. How about start with this? Hey, what's your name? Tell me a little bit about yourself. What makes you tick, man? The very fact that I'm so interested, I actually want to know someone's name rather than walk up to them and the first words out of my mouth is, you need Jesus. You need Jesus so much that you're not important because I will refuse to ask you for your name, but you need Jesus. Relationships at the core of who we are. I asked you earlier, is God's word true? You said yes. Is God's word true? Well, if God's word is true, then you'll follow it. Here's what's interesting, and I'll leave you with this mathematical equation. I hope it stirs you up for the remainder of the year, which is only two more days. (laughs) What you value, you do. What you value, what you truly value, you do. You know, I've... I love these young men. They struggle with such, such twisted perspectives and say, you know, I've fallen out of love with my wife. You can't fall out of love with anyone. That's not possible. That is an equation that will never balance itself. I grew up with a single mom, love my single mom. She did the best she could, but she's not a daddy. She did the best she could with what she had, but that's what she had. If you're a mom and a dad or a grandma or a grandpa, or maybe you don't even have any of those, say, so-called roles, you are a brother or you are a sister. So be that to someone else. What you value, you do. If you value your wife or your children or your life or your job or your profession or your skill or your gifts or your talents or your money, whatever you value, you do it. What can I say? The challenge for you today really is this. It's not so much a challenge. It really is more of a dare. Before we come back next Sunday, and next Sunday will be the first Sunday in 2013, what areas of your life will you start to first identify are threats to you speaking truth with discretion, with honor, with consistency? And then do it. Anything built on a lie is always a lie. Anything sown in truth is always the truth.
Bow with me now. I'm going to ask uh, our ushers, whoever's available this morning, to please come forward as we prepare to take our offering. Ask the uh, worship team as well uh, to please come back up. I know it went just a few minutes longer, but I wanted to share my heart with you, and I thank each and every one of you for listening attentively. As we're bowing right now, I'm going to ask you just a little bit different. Don't look around, really. Just This is a moment I just want to spend because I don't get an opportunity to do this very often. But as every eye is closed, every head is bowed right now, really, think about this question. Who am I? not talking about Egypt McKee. Make that personal. That is you asking who you are. I think as I was speaking, some of you have even identified some immediate places where you really have not spoken truth. You've recognize these are areas that are that are threats but what is the plan how are you going to deal with that now that you know Jesus is the way he is the truth he is the life no one comes to him no one comes to god except through him If you'll simply accept the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that that is his position, his deity, his lordship, and believe that he is exactly who he said he was and make a choice today to receive him, he'll change you. And he'll do it in his time. It's usually relatively immediate. The question is, is how soon are you willing to follow It's so much easier to pick up your cross and follow him than it is for you to drag your cross and follow him. Father God, I pray for each ear that has ears to hear. We pray for the offerings, the tithes, those gifts that you have earmarked, Father, for your glory and your purpose. I thank you for those who are here this morning who have heard this word from a broken man. I pray this morning, Lord God, that we will leave 2012 with the joy of knowing that your grace is sufficient and walking into 2013 with the expectation that your life will be lived through us in a way that changes others. Bless these tithes, these offerings. Bless the musicians, our worship leaders. Use them for your glory. We ask this now. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.
Oh, 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 oh,